William Carey University is one of the top universities in the Southeast. With multiple scholarship opportunities for incoming students, it's one of the most affordable private universities in all of America. Carey provides a multitude of undergraduate and graduate programs, as well as over 10 different doctoral degrees. Did I mention that Carey also boasts one of the top 100 med schools in the country? And I also hear that the baseball team's pretty dang good. Check them out on all forms of social media and visit wmcarry.edu for more information. If you're looking for hats for your business, hunting club, or just whatever, go check out Chickasahay Hat Company. It's locally owned by good folks, so you don't have the hassle of dealing with big box companies. They carry multiple different brands and sizes, including the number one selling hat, the Richardson 112. Custom embroidery is available on all hats and shirts, and to top it off, 10% of all profits go to charities for people that struggle with addiction. Like I said, good people. You can check them out on Facebook at Chickasahay Hat Company or on the web at ChickasahayHatCo.com. And we're back. Another episode of the Pinstripes to Camo podcast. I'm Ben Smith. We've got Hunter in here. And tonight we've got Chris Coulter back with us. Glad to be back. It's been a while. So, uh, and uh, even though Chris is here, he is not the guest of honor tonight. Um, we have our first ever, and we've talked about a lot of stuff on the show. We've covered saltwater fishing, freshwater, deer hunting, turkey hunting, anything you can think of pretty much. With the exception of one thing, we haven't really had a survivalist on the show before. No, we sure haven't. We're changing that tonight. We have got Heather Smith. Uh, she is the owner of Heather Smith Outdoors. She's from Brooklyn, Texas. She has her own show on YouTube. And obviously, she's a survivalist. And you might know the name from the TV show, Naked and Afraid. Now, that's real survivors. Real survivors. Real so survivors. Heather's calling in. She's actually uh, driving through uh, in between Montana and Wyoming tonight, so she's calling in. Heather, awesome to have you. Hey, awesome to be here. Anybody with a last name of Smith, you know, I know they got to be good people. Well, we're, probably, we're probably related somewhere down the road, right? Uh, well, if anybody in the South, I think everybody's related, right? We all came from the same person, except for those of us that are legends. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well said. Uh, so, yeah. So, so you, uh, yeah, you you were on the show, Naked and Afraid. You made it through the, it's 21 days, right? Before I get that wrong. I've done the show. I, yeah, I know. I've done the challenge twice. Yeah. And yeah. so, I've got the, the, first, the first one. Uh, is your basic naked and afraid that everyone sees on TV. That's a 21 day challenge. And I was in South Africa and uh, yeah, I, I made it all 21 days. And then I did another challenge, which is something that's never been done before. And that is their new naked and afraid castaways that comes out July 30th on discovery. The season premieres, uh, it'll be on for eight Sundays. Um, and that is one where they basically kicked us off a boat, told us we had to swim to an Island. We could not bring a single item. And we had to survive for 21 days with nothing. Holy moly. How many folks were uh, involved in that? There were nine. There were nine of us. Oh, wow. And that is that also a 21-day challenge? It was a 21-day. Yeah, yeah. It was, oh. it was 21 days. 
it was uh, it was definitely turning it up a notch. When it comes to survival, I was I, I this is something. This is truly like this is what's going to happen. You know, like if your boat goes down. I mean, we fish, right? We all talked about that. I heard your intro. You know, your boat goes down and you got nothing. I mean, you're not grabbing anything off your boat because you're trying to swim. And uh, you know, if you get to this island, you ain't got no comms. You don't have any comms. You don't have a map. You don't have your bearings. You know, and uh, you just got to survive for 21 days. Man, oh man, Ben, I'm eating you first. <laughs> and and <laughs> I want to talk some more about about the new show here later, uh, as as we get going. The first thing that that I think I think everybody's got to think this at some point when you start talking about the show Naked and Afraid. We've all watched plenty of episodes of it. Um, I spend a lot of time on the road with my job with baseball, and Naked and Afraid is one of my go to shows uh, to watch in the hotel room because it's so entertaining and. But I've I've always wondered, with every episode that I've ever watched, what drives someone to want to go on this show, and expose yourself to all the elements, and, and do all of that. Like what kind of what inside you makes you want to do that? Um, I think you know I hear a lot of stories, and I think that they ask every cast member that you know, and I think my my reasons may be a little bit different than everybody else's, and. Um, in 2018, same reason I got into the outdoors so much. You know, my entire family died except for my kids. And so I moved from Kima up to Sam Rayburn to take over my mom's business. And my mom wanted her ashes spread on Sam Rayburn. And so I took a fishing rod and I went out every day. And eventually it became more about fishing and less about, you know, uh, visiting mom. And while I was going through this, it kind of feels like, you know, you're alone in the world. I got two small kids a brand new place, you know, obviously it's a little tiny town, but I didn't know anybody. And boy, it was kind of a hit the brakes moment where, you know, I went from, you know, the fourth largest city in the country to, to live in a town that didn't even have a red light, you know? Right. Sure. And there, there comes a time in everybody's life where, you know, especially now when we had the plague, you know, when we had all this political crap going on all the time and, you know, uh, in cancel culture and social media and, People, you know, and no matter what, there's divorces going on and people are losing their jobs because they wouldn't get vaccines and businesses were closing because of the plague. And, you know, um, there comes a point where in, in our lives when we're older, where everything radically changes, everything we put everything into. And it's not a change that we want. But, you know, when you feel like you're staring down the barrel of a shotgun and you don't know what you're going to do or how you're going to overcome it that, you know, as a parent, you got to look at those two little girls and you got to realize no matter what, you're going to have to get through this. So, uh, getting past through that and then starting Heather Smith Outdoors is when I decided, um, at that point, making it afraid if I, if I could show on a bigger scale that doesn't matter how old you are or what kind of background you have or, um, you know, what adversity you're facing and even the biggest challenges, you just put your mind to it, you can get through it and you can get over it and you can achieve it. I, and, you know, I think your story kind of coincides with a lot of other stories that I've heard about people that have gone on the show is, you know, I want to, number one, prove to myself that I can do this. And then it's it's that I want to show a, a kid or a nephew or a niece or something that, hey, if you put your mind to something, you can do it. That's kind of been every person I've ever heard interviewed about it. That's kind of what they, you know, what they say. But I've always been... Just, I, I wanted to hear it firsthand from somebody that, you know. Right. And, and the other side of it is, on a lighter note, you got to be a little crazy to do this too, right? Yeah. Now, there, I'm, I, I make no qualms about explaining to everybody that I'm 
crazy. <laughs> I have, I, uh, you know, I've had so many, some people are like, I need to introduce you to a friend or I've got a friend that, you know, cause I'm single, right? They're like, Hey, when a friend wants to meet you, I'm like, tell your friend that I am crazy. I am broke. I have no basic life skills. I can't cook. And, you know, I, I act like I'm sitting in a chair. You know what I mean? Just leave me alone. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I think you have to be, there has to be a touch of, of, of craziness. I think there's a process we all, we all have to, you know, well, uh, to make sure that we're mentally sane. They do make sure we're mentally sane before we go out there, but I made jokes that I don't think any of us pass the psych about. All three of us in here have got a little bit of crazy to us. I'm not sure that mm-hmm. any of us are going to strip down naked and go into the wilderness for 21 days. I don't. I think that the three of us probably have enough survival skills and knowledge that we could probably survive it. But whether we'd actually do it or not, I don't know. I kind of, you know, I enjoy the comfort of air conditioning in South Mississippi or heat in the wintertime or underwear, <laughs> underwear, right. Uh, You'd you know. be surprised. I mean, it, it, it socks actually. You know, you yeah, you would right. you shoes. You don't realize how much those socks are just like little tiny body armor, right? Yeah. No yeah. doubt. You know, so, um, I think we're all crazy. I think it's the reason you take your clothes off is, is uh, you know, a lot of people ask me about that. You know, why nude? You know, and then you've got some people that beat to a different drum. You know, have religious people that, that leave, leave me some comments, but. Um, right. in actuality, you know, when you're completely stripped down, you have no defenses, just like we were talking about how socks is like body armor, you know? And, and so, right. no, I was going to say that, and, and that's what the show is really about. It's not that you're sexualizing people. It's that you are stripping down every defense you have to the elements. You're completely exposed. Exactly. Yeah. Correct. Right. Which is right. the ultimate challenge. Exactly. No doubt. Yeah. You know, you are taking on nature itself, right? And, I mean, the smallest thing, underwear, for example, you know, you've had, I've got some of the guys with me that have got ticks in their, you know, um, butt cracks, right? You know, and they had to have them cut out mm-hmm. and live on camera. Um, EJ Snyder, who is actually my mentor um, in, in Naked and Afraid in, in the whole alum, and I just talked to EJ yesterday. Uh and EJ fell out of a tree down in the Castellite Basin. And he was doing the 60-day challenge. And he fell on part of a cypress tree root, and it cut his scrotum. And he had to be stitched up out there. And then he stayed still the whole 60 days. Had he went underwear on, it probably would have helped, you know, helped not, no doubt. you know, cut his, his scrotum. So little <laughs> Look, things I'm like out. that. that I'm, out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out. That's when I go home. <laughs> When I tear my yeah, right? on a cypress yeah. map, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, everybody's, I mean, that might on, on the, my insertion in South Africa, I stepped, there's a hundred, the ground was, it was starting to cook. It got to 138 degrees, you know, and um, it, it fried the bottom of my right foot off. Like it literally fried off and I ended up having to cauterize my own wound. Like I had to step again and fry the bottom of it to seal the skin shut. And, um, and it was so gruesome. They said that they actually could not air what really happened that night because it was too gruesome for television. Mm. Wow. Heather, uh, so. what, what skills primarily did you most benefit from? Like, is it, is, or, or did you have going into the show like shelter building or is it like, like what, or fire making, whatnot? Like, 
And and also, did yeah. they did they give you like a rundown of the area before you go, or is that on you? Okay, so I can't tell you anything that they do, right? But what I can tell you is prior to going, so I'm I am trained, so I'm certified in survival and advanced survival. You know, I guess matter of fact, I just got back from doing some more training up in Montana for the last three weeks. I'm constantly it's a constant thing, you know. Sure. Um, so I've trained everywhere from uh, Washington all the way down to. Florida, you know, and then across and everywhere in between, right? Mm. Um, from the swamps all the way up to the Canadian mountains, you know, like so, or, you know, going yeah. through the Rockies. But, um, so nighttime tracking is a, is a big skill of mine. Obviously, fishing is another skill, shelter building, water, you know, water filtration, um, fire building. Um, even when I was in Africa, one of my things that, that was very big for me is, you know, I was booting out the trees. And I made cordage, and so I started making, from the cordage, I started making shoes. So the weaving was very important with the cordage, you know, so, um, because as we talked about, I lost a foot. So that was super imperative for me to have that skill. My partner that was with me, uh, as you see, he didn't have shoes. He said he didn't have time. Actually, he didn't know how to do that. And so he would kept taking the cordage from that I was making because I was the one cutting down a tree every other day, you know. Right. And I would walk a mile, and I would go get me a palm, a river palm, and I would drag it back. I ate every day. Like, you know, so I, I only lost 10 pounds on that challenge. My partner lost 35 pounds. Oh, wow. And so, um, yeah, because, well, I, I ate. You know, we, we had a, when you watch it, we definitely did not go wrong. So we kind of went our own separate ways very early in it. And so I was eating, you know. Um, and between making jerky out of caterpillars and cooking crickets, which is the number one source of protein, or, you know, in the country or in the world. Uh, crickets, grasshoppers, cooked those, ate lizards, uh, ate crab, ate fish, caught a tiger fish. Um, so, and I ate the heart of palm every day, which is equivalent to like eating an apple every day. Right. Wow. You left healthier oh. than you went. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I came in at seven, yeah, I came home at 7% body fat. I felt great except for the fact I couldn't eat anything. And I looked like, you know, I'd been beat over by Ike Turner. Other than that, everything was great. You know? <laughs> Well, wow. it sounds like this uh, kind of gets in your blood, and once it does, it's 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 chasing the next adventure, huh? You you know, I was thinking about this is like the area that you go. Like you were in South Africa, I was asked this question the other day. I, I told some people that we were going to have you on the show, and they said, "Do you think you could do it?" And I said, "Well, it kind of depends on where. Like if you stuck me in a desert setting, I probably wouldn't make it very long." But if you put me in something that has a similar climate to where... But why? Why wouldn't you make it in a desert setting? Can I ask you the questions? Why wouldn't you make it in a desert setting? I've never been to a desert. <laughs> so I think I would be lost oh, in Like making water? Yeah, like I, I just... I, I, don't, I don't possess the knowledge right now to, to I don't think, to, to thrive in a desert setting. But if you put me in yeah. like a swampy area, like in the Amazon, I'd probably be fine. Something like that. We well, think that. Here's the thing. Like, the Amazon. Well, that's, that's an aggressive way to say if you put him in South Mississippi, he would be fine. Because I'm not yeah. sure he's... I, I was, I was kind of giggling on that one. I didn't say okay. anything. I was like, oh. uh, So maybe yeah. if you drop me off in my backyard for 21 days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> right. yeah he killed a few robins with a slingshot. <laughs> Heather, well, um... What's, what's some of the ways that you, you prepared your body? Did you try to calorie up or, you know, exercise or what was I some did, of your preparation? I did, I did. 
Yeah, so their element is actually, there's a, a packet, electrolyte packets that I take by a company called um, Element. They actually sponsor uh, Lance Armstrong, several basketball players and everything like that. But I had them send me special ones that were carbless. So for three weeks, what I did is I went straight protein, just carbs, for three weeks straight. And just because I sat at home and I couldn't have caffeine, you know, no chocolate. I mean, just literally just proteins and healthy proteins. Because if I said if I couldn't do it at home, there was no reason for me to go on TV and embarrass myself. Oh, wow. Right? So, so you shocked your body um, I, you, ever, you ever left. Yeah. And, and I wanted to go into ketosis at home before I did it out there because some people get ketosis flu, you know? Sure. sure. So I got uh, carbless uh, elements. I was at the gym all the time. I was went to I trained uh, for six months prior to that show going all over the country training. Um, my kids, as a matter of fact, the littles are in the car. You want to say hi, guys? Hi. So hey. the the little hey, so the little can tell you that like uh, every night, like I was literally just focused when I focus in on something. I mean, I quit doing tournaments for a while and just focused on training prep. And at three o'clock in the night, I would literally wake up like kind of with anxiety because I wanted to make sure I could do everything that I needed to do. And uh, I would be sitting there making a bow drill on a yoga mat in the living room, trying to getting a fire going. And little can tell you she'd run out and she's like, Mom, what is that smell? And I she'd look over and I I look like Schmeagle over there with a bow drill right in the middle of the living room. And she's like, Oh, it's just you and I'm like, Oh, you see the smart? And she's like, I am not doing this, right? He's going back to bed. So <laughs> you see it like I got a cold and they're like, You're you're obsessed, mom. You know what I mean? Like so they would go to bed and uh and then I would have you know, Bob Seely, who's my um mentor, you know, two time Hall of Fame Bass Fisherman Bob, the got yeah. the um the uh Seely Outdoors Big Bass Flash. Bob brought over the big horse trough that they use for when they're holding the bass in the tournament, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, we filled them up with ten bags of ice and I would get in an ice bath every single day. For 30 minutes so I could address my body to a 20 degree change, uh, core temperature change. So I could try to do, um, you know, manipulation for hypothermia. So so, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. Now you mentioned hypothermia. That's every, it seems like every episode that I've ever watched, that might be the biggest thing that people deal with as far as what I've seen is just that huge temperature change between when the sun's up and when the sun's down. Um, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I wondered how you would train for that. Yeah. Because yeah. You think about it. Yeah, say, that, say that, that's exactly how you train. Yeah. Yeah, that's how you train for that. So I, what I also did is I did something. I, I tanned every single day before I went to because I saw I didn't want to get in there and I knew I was going to be in the sun and I didn't want to let a sunburn get me get me out. So I got nice and then dark. So, you know, that was important too, right? to me and then um another thing that you do is you get in the shower um, i have really long hair so like you you know you put it as cold as you can get it and then when you get out like you have the ac on in the house really cold you know mm-hmm. and then you sit there with your wet hair and then you just have to try to get you know not do anything right before you go like two weeks before you go you stop sleeping on your bed you're sleeping on the floor you don't have a pillow you know you're still doing cardio every single day um, and you are just really getting adjusted to it. There's some people that go in there that don't do any of this stuff, but for the most part, those are also the same people that tap. What's well, brilliant because the truth is training your mind is, is just, if not more important than training your body, huh? Yeah. Yeah. 
And it is, you're, you're starting, you know, you're starting, you have to train yourself and, and get into a habit and, and know this is what you're doing. And, you know, you see a lot of people that are like, oh, I, I, I don't do all that. I just go in. I'm like, yeah, and you've never made it 21 days. You know what he means? So like, yeah. you know, there's the, you know, I don't, I'm not going to listen to you. It's kind of like the champ or somebody that's, you know, never the guy that's like 10 and 0 or the guy that's 0 and 10. I'm not listening to the 0 and 10 guy on advice. You know what I mean? Well, <laughs> like, right. well said. You know? Yeah. It's, it's just not going to happen. So, um, but that's what I do, you know, and you have to look at all aspects. You got to think of all aspects and, uh, you need to, you've got to study as much as you can the terrain. Another thing I do is I'll sit down the train. I'll look at the weather patterns. I'll take a look at what can usually since we're coming here, it's going to be the opposite of it. If they're not going to send you for my, my uh, experience, they haven't sent me somewhere next door. You know what I mean? Like they're sending you far away. And, um, you have to look and see what, not only that, like, okay, so it, maybe it's fall there, but at that specific time, what fruit are going to be bearing fruit? You know, if there's going to be any, right. You know, so, or if you've got certain animals, like what's going on with them in that animal. So I mean, if it's their mating season, they're going to be even more agitated than they normally are. So you need to study weather patterns. You need to study animals. You need to study, you know, obviously the current vegetation. And then you need to know what you're looking at. You know, I needed to know uh, when I went into South Africa that, yes, when I first got there, it was going to be really hot like it was. It was actually the hottest. It was, a, I think, like a record-breaking day when it fried my foot off on the very first day. <laughs> and uh day that we came out it was 56 degrees with rain going sideways oh wow mm-hmm. yeah yeah i've always been I've, I've always been intrigued by uh especially people that go on the show and they make it through it with their knowledge of of what they can eat versus what they can't eat now sometimes it doesn't always go that way i've seen shows that you know, somebody goes, ah, I think we can eat this and they eat it and then they're calling mm-hmm. in the, the the medics later on in the show yeah but you know, I've always, because I can tell you right now, I know I've lived in Mississippi for most of my life, and there are berries and nuts and stuff that I come across when I'm out hunting or fishing or whatever, and I don't know whether I could eat it or not if I had to, and I've lived here most of my life, so the ability to retain that information about where you're going, about what you can and can't, or, or to know that, it's incredible to me. That, that people are able to But I bet that. you could tell me every single maker of a duck, of a duck, uh, a duck call or a duck decoy. Well, I, I might not could. Matt could if he were here. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, what? It, 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 there's an app, actually. You can get an app when you're doing that, and you can go out and take a look at some of that stuff right. that'll actually identify it for you. Right. Um, but when you go into those locations, I now, Gary Golding is notorious. I, I'm not friends with Gary. I love Gary. Gary is notorious for just eating everything. You know what I mean? He just eats everything. And then... Uh, I'm making a practice not to. I'd rather not eat anything and be safe than, uh, you know, just eating anything. Although, that's why I can't say, I can't say something, but don't mind, I'm going to give you a square. You're good. Now, if I'm catching it, I'll eat it. I'll eat anything as long as it's not a turtle with, like, the red circles on its ears. I know that. They eat fungi that can kill humans, so I don't eat that. But any fish is on the table for me unless it's a bird to Oh well, Hunter, uh, Hunter just ate a barracuda. Yeah, yeah, because you know people trip about cigaterra. It's dumb. Um, I don't think that cigaterra trigonosis. Uh, well, I mean, what are these things? It is. Um, there, look. It, if I'm gonna eat a red snapper from a rig that I cat from from the same rig that barracuda live at. There would be no reason for me not to have the same suspicion of that grouper or red snapper for cigaterra poisoning as barracuda. 
Well, they, um, they, 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 just, they both eat the same bait fish that eat the whatever that gets the ciguatera in it. So grouper, red snapper, all reef species that consume smaller reef species are... Yeah, but it's well, safer in our part of the world. If you're is, in the Bahamas... If I was whatnot, in the Bahamas, I would yeah, not eat a barracuda. Right. Correct. Right. Actually, that's where you can eat a barracuda. To be honest, with you, the Bahamas, the barracudas are actually missing... Yeah, the Bahamas, that's the one place you can eat it. The bar- barracudas are missing one certain organ that other fish don't have. I can't remember what it is right now. If you would have put me on the question, I would have been able to answer that. But the... They have um, they have a certain organ that the other fish don't have, so that's why they retain it. So they don't process the toxins that are in their body like other fish. So that's why they smell like skunks compared to other fish. You've never pulled up a snapper that's not like a skunk, but you certainly have pulled up a barracuda that's not like a skunk. And that's because they have a certain organ, or they're they're lacking a certain organ that's able to process that. That's why they retain it versus a snapper that doesn't. So a very good friend of mine, Jason, his dad, the Shreer, found in Jefferson County, got it. And the boy thought he was going to die. I'd never seen somebody in so much pain. And then since then, um, you know, and he got a it in Barracuda that he caught out of Venice. And ever since then, I, I won't, I won't touch it. I heard it's great though. I heard it's really good. Well, but Hunter, Hunter's, something I like. Hunter's eaten a lot of obscure, different things in his life, and he's from Smith County in Mississippi originally, so he's got a an iron gut anyway. An extra organ. And an he, extra he's got organ an extra that, organ that, that processes toxins. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna yeah. Keep, I'm gonna eat everything until I get sick, <laughs> and then I'm gonna eat it again. So, well, I, so no, I'll be I mean, stronger. I, I'm a Nutra, I'm, I'm a Nutra fan myself. Like I, I cook a really mean Nutra, Oof. and so Oof, don't, um, don't say I, that over the air. Uh, why? I just can't do it. I, I've seen too many of them in really nasty places, and they just bother me. I can't. I can't do it. I've never eaten one either. I'm they, not eating. I'd one. eat one though. Yeah, if I was starving, I cook I'd a good one. It. Yeah. Well, what's, what's its meat like? Say, like a rabbit? It, it, what? At my, the littles, it's their favorite food, actually. Uh, they're, they're here, it's their favorite. No. They, I know, you should see their baby. Their, we had a babysitter one day, and she's like, what's your favorite thing to eat? And Ella was like, Nutra? Rat? And she was like, she goes, her eyes got really big. She's like, I don't have any of that. And she's like, I have chicken nuggets. I'm like, that'll do. You know what I mean? So I was like, I'll have to get you some Nutra. She's like, no, no. Uh, it tastes like if you cook it right, it's better than a pot roast. Swear it, it really is. Wow. So maybe we're missing out. Um, it was, yeah, you really are. It was once regarded a delicacy. Like it was in New Orleans, a lot of the major chefs used to serve it, but because of the you know just the regard because it's a, the name itself, neutral rat. You know, people can't get past that. But in all actuality, the meat's fantastic. Huh. Well, now I'm definitely not going to eat it. I don't trust anybody <laughs> from New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> Heather, I've got a question about something that I've seen on the show numerous times. Um, The PSR rate, or I guess PSR. um, Uh Explain that and kind of go through what, like, what was your PSR before? And then, you know, they always show that at the beginning of the show. Uh, Heather Smith's on the show. She's got a PSR rating of 7.2. And then after the show, when you, you make it through, you know, so uh, her PSR rating jumped to 7.9. Like, what is that? How do they calculate that? Like, what? I, explain that to us. Your personal survival rating. And so, as a matter of fact, last one standing just happened. And that's uh, what their PSR had a lot to do with $100,000 of whoever won at the end of it, who has the best survival rating. So, you're tested. You have to test out on everything prior to. So, they've got some of the top survivalists in the world uh, prior to going on the show. And you're interviewed. And you have to prove your abilities of what you can do. Anybody can go up there and blow smoke, right? But until it's just, 
you know, they put you on the corner, right, right on front street. And they're like, okay, do it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. well, let's show me, you know, that you know, it's, everybody's like, oh yeah, I can do that. They're like, oh yeah, show me. You know what I mean? So you have to show them on everything. And so there's uh regular and then there's advanced and there's super advanced and, you know, there's novice and intermediate, like there's so many different levels. Right. You know? And so you get points for each certain thing that you've, you know, been able to demonstrate and, and whether you've mastered it or not. And so that is where you come into your schedule or your point system. I know that my PSR was the highest PSR for any female walking on naked and afraid since Brooke White, which was Matt Wright's wife. And that had been like several years. Mm -hmm. So I knew that that was a very big problem in my mind because you don't want to go in with such a high score because it's, Oh, you know, as much as somebody likes to see someone climb, there's nothing more than watching, you know, someone fall, you know what I mean? So I was like, God, I couldn't have had like a little, you know what I mean? So it was very, it was very, um, difficult. And then, you know, obviously it was also mentioned to me that I normally, I guess people don't know their PSRs, but it had been mentioned because they, they were so after I finished testing and they got my results, from everything that I've done that everybody was really emphatic with my score being so high, you know? And so that was a big thing. Um, and then obviously the two gentlemen were with me. Mine was significantly higher than theirs. And the one guy that I obviously didn't get along with, he just hated that. He, just, he kept talking about that while we were out there. And he didn't <laughs> my PSR was higher than his, you know? And I was like, well, you know, like maybe he should have tested higher, you know what I mean? It's not my fault. Yeah. So, um, so, what, but, what were your ahead. items? What did you What did you decide uh, to bring? I brought uh, fish hooks and braid, and um, I brought uh, I I brought fish hooks and braid. So that was what I went out there with. And they were given us a we were given a pot. One person had a striker, and another person had um, uh, a knife. Right. So that's what we had. Castaways. We couldn't bring a single thing. So that was just a different story. Would, and you'll you'll see that unfold. If so, it, would you have brought the same things again? On the hunt? Yeah. Back. Well, I, what I would have done is I would have brought hooks in different sizes rather than uh. the same size hook over and over again. I caught that, say, people were said, there was a lot of things that were said. There's, you know, tell me you're not a fisherman without telling me you're not a fisherman, right? Like, so there were some people that were on there making comments, and it's always the keyboard warriors, you know, sure. like, those are my favorite guys, you know? <laughs> um, they're like, oh, she doesn't know how to tie knots. It kept coming untied. I'm like, no, it didn't. Like, and you see me holding it up, it didn't have like a pigtail, you know what I mean? Like a, like mm -hmm. a curly cord, you know? Yep. No, they were tiger fish, right? So, and I've got three out circle hooks, right, with braid, and I'm trying to catch a tiger fish, and I'm trying to, I was pulling it, and they were like, oh, she's not going slow. Yeah, I'm trying to set the hook on something like, it's like leather. It's kind of like trying to catch a great white with a Snoopy rod and a spinner beetle, you know? Uh -huh. Like, I was having some issues. And, um, I did actually land one at one point and we did eat it and I, and I didn't show it on the show, which I'm kind of mad about because now I can't ever see that footage again. And that was a bucket list fish for me. I can just want that picture. <laughs> yeah. Why did they not show that? I, I don't know. I don't have, I don't have the control on that. That's not my, um, it, I, I, you find away your life on that one. So I am looking at a picture of a tiger fish and it looks like a striped bass with a devil face. Um, it's got teeth like a vampire fish. Um, yeah, yeah. They're, well, there's yeah, it's a little more jacket than a vampire, but it is definitely yeah. You are you're on on par. I used to say it was like a barracuda, and a striper had a baby. Yeah. You know. All right. 
you know, that's, that's the other thing too is is when people watch the show. You were talking about you know not having the video or the pictures from it. There's so much that goes on. You know, they've got to fit that show into a 30 minute window for you to watch it, or an hour long episode for you to watch it on television. And you're out there for 21 mm-hmm. days, and it's 24 hours a day. So much stuff that mm-hmm. goes on that you know we don't get to see on TV. Um, so the, the the food stuff that we do get to see, I, I'm assuming it's just you know is they're hitting high notes is all I can figure that they you know they've got to put the best stuff out as far as uh, what's going to bring in viewers. So uh, I, I think what they do is they do it along the way of how they want to present the story. Right. Is what I'm going to say, and that's all I can get into details sure, about. Yeah, yeah, like I said, yeah. I caught a lot of stuff, and it wasn't presented, which personally I think catching the tiger fish on there would have been the highest highlight of the story. But, you know, um, you know my partner, who I was out there with, uh, he didn't catch any fish. His dad was an astronaut that died in the Columbia explosion 20 years ago. It was the 20th anniversary of his dad's death when the episode aired. And so... Um, you know, they put in some uh, edits from the, the Columbia, you know, right. thing. So I think there was a, the Irish episode had a lot to do, you know, with what has happened with his dad, you know. So yeah. I, um, I can yeah. understand where that would be. That would be good for television. Well, so. they can call me. Yeah. I would have told yeah. them to put the tiger fish in. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. That, but that, that's what happened. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm again, you know, that's not I don't know exactly. But I mean, that's what I, I could tell you. I know for that, you know, that, that happened, but, um, but the, and we were lucky. We actually got a two hour special, which is 120 minutes. And, but there is over 3000 minutes. Okay. Of what happens out there. So yeah. you're saying 21 days, break it down. It's th- over three, I think it's like 3,300 minutes. And out of 3,300 minutes of filming, only 120 minutes make it to film. Yeah. So, so much editing, you know, Oh, yeah, I woke up with a puff adder on my back at one point um, when I had fallen asleep. And so, you know, that was another thing. I had a hippo come at me. That was crazy. Uh, my foot burned off. You know, there was crocs everywhere around me. Um, it was definitely insane. We had hyenas reaching in trying to pull us out by our feet. So, so it was I've pretty got, nuts. I've got to ask. I mean, you know, we talked about all your preparation. It seems like preparation was key. So you had, uh, I'm sure, a very positive demeanor going in did that change once you were there and experienced some of this stuff i was really cool with dallas you know what i mean like i loved dallas uh that but i trained but i was here's what i did i trained um and i was told ahead of time amal alifiri who was on the show before is the one that got me on the show and amal was the first muslim girl that's ever been there her family fled pakistan and she came to the united states and since she was the first Muslim woman that ever did this, uh, she got like tons and tons of death threats, right? You know, so, and she's all about, you know, women and doing stuff. So she's like kind of an icon for me, you know? And, um, I, so she told me to train like I'm doing it alone, you know, because you never know if anyone's going to tap. And I had a partner that didn't really do anything actually. And so I was already, a, but I had mentally trained to do it alone. Right. So it didn't, it didn't bother me. It didn't break my spirit because I, like I said, the very first time when I stepped on my first, on the soil of South Africa, the first time in front of the cameras, they asked me if I would make it 21 days. I said, I'll make it 40 days, but I have to get through this 21 day challenge before I can get to Excel. Right. Yeah. 
So, it's, you know, so your demeanor, I mean, you stayed strong the entire time. You had mentally prepared yourself to the point where you just weren't um, taken back when some of these tougher things crossed your path. No, not at all. Yeah, not, if, that's what, if that's the direction you're going, I don't know. Yeah, no, not at all. Now, I do know, like, I think it was, like, the second night there when they leave at night, like, the guys were talking, and they were, he was like, am I the only one when they leave at night that thinks that, you know, we should. I should have tapped or, you know, is it crossing my mind? And I'm like, and of course him and Sean, he and Sean were both like, yeah, you know, they're like, yeah, I know you're not the only one. I'm like, yes. And you know, I'm the one in the back going, yes, yes, you are the only one. Like we, we're not leaving. Like we're, we're here to do this challenge, you know? So I know right off the bat, the guys were, were ready to leave and, and call it quits. Cause they were, they were heat stroking. Sean got really bad. He laid there until day 12 with no blood just coming out of his nose. And, um, and Dallas left on day four. So, um, but yeah, and they just couldn't get over the, the heat, you know. Oh, I would throb. Yeah, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> if it gets if it gets below seventy two, though, I'm gonna need a jacket <laughs> at night, as long as it's night. But one hundred and forty, I'm good. Um, what was the yeah. most difficult part of the end? Obviously, you can't speak to. I'm sure it probably got a little harder whenever you were swimming across the Caribbean or whatever without anything. But from what we've what we where was it at South Africa? Oh, dang, my <laughs> it's bad. Not the Caribbean. Close you're enough. Close. <laughs> There's water. Um, what was the most difficult part of that entire process? Uh, well, losing my foot was pretty hard. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm not gonna lie. Like so, we have what they call the most brutal inversion in the history of the show, and uh, going into it, and I mean, you know, I've been training for six months, right? You know, and and, and I've had every coach from everywhere. They're in my head. You know, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff. You know, I've got Bob pumping me up. My kids telling me, as a matter of fact, Lilla, my daughter, okay, my, the, the big little is what I call her. <laughs> she tells me, don't tap out and embarrass the family. That's the last thing she says Love to me it. before I leave. Yeah. So all this is in my head. Yeah, I know, right? I was like, oh, God. Yeah. And I was like, oh, God. I go home, they're going to burn me at the stake in the front yard, you know? <laughs> so, um, cause they've been with me everywhere across the country. Like they've been right beside me. My kids go with me with survival training, you know? And so I call them my little apocalypse partner. Um, so the hardest thing for me was right off the bat, you know, I, it was, the conditions were so extreme. It was very much a mental game and it was very much, what have I done? Like, this is way worse than I anticipated. And, if I quit now, my career is over, you know, like I'm an outdoors woman and I can't even make it past day one, you know, and, uh, my foot fries off and I, I thought I was done there, but, uh, I mustered up the strength that that was hard. That was, that was extremely painful and to push. And then I had to still walk another five miles while my feet were burning. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that was like walking on broken glass. Talk is so cheap. It, to, to be there and to experience, I can only imagine uh, the mental toughness that it takes to go through that. How long did it take for you to recover um, after the challenge? Uh, probably two weeks in total. And that's just, Two weeks in total. Yeah, and that's just kind of getting your body, I guess, back to where it was before you, before you went? Uh, yeah, well, I couldn't eat for two weeks. So I came home, actually. My flight was out on Thanksgiving like Thanksgiving and I left there at like five in the morning and I got to the car 
And it was right where all that Omnicron, the Omni Delta stuff was going on. And it was the last flight out of South Africa to the U.S. because they were cutting them off for all that stuff that was going on. And so I missed my connecting flight. And so then I got stuck in Qatar having to spend Thanksgiving by myself, you know, right out of the challenge, looking like I was completely beat up. And uh, I tried to go to Harris. I thought I would go. Yeah, yeah, it was rough, but. I couldn't, and of course, then they felt bad because, I mean, I don't really celebrate Thanksgiving, but I'm like, at this point, I just start crying because I'm like, I've been through hell, right? I'm like, I don't want to see my kids. Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, you know? And um, anything I took a bite of, I would just violently throw up. Like, my stomach was just not ready for it. And uh, as soon as I got out, like, this is really funny part. Um, the minute I got out, they gave me something to eat. Like they give me a bite of something. They give me some, something to drink and you just don't really want anything. Like you can have, like you're starving. You want everything. Don't get me wrong. You want everything. But at the same time, like your body can't handle it. Right. And especially in the extreme temperatures, your body's kind of been like mummified. Right. You know, like you've almost turned into jerky, right. you know? Um, and I took, I ate a half a banana and when I ate a half a banana, like a few minutes later, um, my blood sugar spiked really bad and I looked like a baby deer trying to walk and oh, I just wow. collapsed. Is that normal? Mm-hmm. Is that what, do they see that often with folks that? Yeah. Yeah. That's why they monitor you. Like they're, they're pretty, they're on you, you know, to make sure that you're okay. And they wanted to make sure I was okay. Cause you know, once you get out of there, if your body's not used to consuming, I can only imagine what would have happened if I would have had like a freaking Mountain Dew or like, you know, like a, right. a baby. This, you know, so they try to it, purposely they're bringing me something small like a, a banana or yogurt but even that you know i had had zero sugar um at the most point you know i had those heart of palms every other day you know but that was not anywhere near what the sugars in a banana and your your taste buds have changed so radically because uh it's kind of like a smoker that quit smoking and then they can smell everything again you know right um it's the equivalent of that when, you know, you haven't, it's the biggest detox you could possibly ever go through. Like, I mean, three weeks of just, you know, completely detoxing the body. And then, uh, when you go to taste stuff, it tastes so sweet. What your average diet doesn't think it would be sweet, but for someone that's, you know, not had anything at all with sugar, it's super sweet. Oh, you just gave me a new idea for addicts. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's truly oh, yeah. a, way, yeah. a way to cure a lot of the illnesses that we deal with. Yeah. We do it to ourselves. We are what we put in our bodies. Right. You yeah. Think, yeah. yeah. The things we eat here that we probably deem as healthy, they're, they're really not with the preservatives and additives and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. But only 21 days, it's not a long time. Completely shocks your system. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it does. Oh, and you got to think, too. And I shocked it before I went in. But. In South Africa, which is, this is probably a different story for different podcasts, you guys, for a different day, but, you know, they don't have GMOs. GMOs are banned in almost every country except America and, like, other cheaper, poor countries, right? Sure. So, um, but even Africa, okay, we're talking, like, a third world as you can get over there, and they're even saying, nope, we are not going to take that over here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, like, it's pretty sad when they're like, oh, we will just go, people in Ethiopia are rather just die than have GMOs, right? So, um, but since they don't have it, their food, their food tastes so much better. You know, like their, their bread was better. Their fruit was better. But I think also, um, I was kind of biased because anything tasted better. You know, like I had nothing. Sure. So, um, you know, when you go from, 
eating literally lizards. You know, I would catch a lizard. I would, I would run by and I would put it on a porcupine spike and I would cook it over the fire and I called it my Boma bacon and I would just eat it. <laughs> and then my partner, he had, had, had pet lizards. He's like, I don't know why you do that. You, you try to do this to be mean to me. Right. And I'm looking at him going, dude, I'm doing this cause I'm starving. This is nothing personal. You know, like it ran by, you know, like I'm hungry. This is what happens. You know, so, <laughs> the three of us have done some camping that we called fairly primitive where we, you know, we're killing a deer and we're cutting it up and cooking it over an open flame out in the woods. But then we're going into a tent with sleeping bags and things like that. So clothes. Yeah. And we have clothes on, obviously. Uh, we've got to reevaluate our primitive thoughts. There's going to be some rumors if we're, if we're naked camping. No, I didn't together. say we had to do it together. This, I think this is one of those train alone situations. Yeah. But, that takes but Tom Brown, if you, read, <laughs> if, you, if you read Tom Brown's book, as a matter of fact, Tom Brown's uh, prodigy is who, is who I've been with for the last three weeks. He's been training me in certain skills. But, and I just made my own bows and arrows out there in the wild. But, nice. um, yeah. And so, but if you read Tom Brown's book, and he actually talks about in tracking and to get better at stalking and things like that, that he suggested that you get out there with like a cheetah speedo. You know, and I think it's, maybe you'd be better at talking and hiding, you know, if you didn't want somebody to come by and see you in a speedo. You know? <laughs> That's right. So, that but, you know, it, it, yeah, it does. And so, I mean, he never explains why, but that's the first thing my mind went to. I don't know. Um, Chris but, is a little bit of an exhibitionist, so I don't know if that theory would hold true for him. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it's. It's a different level, you know, it's fun, uh, you know, sleeping on the stars, that's another thing, and that's the wonderful thing about, you know, Castle Lake was beautiful, too, you know, and right. clearly in South Africa, uh, you know, you had to be in a boma at night because we had cats and stuff trying to eat us, and hyenas, and lions, and cheetahs, and, you know, everything else, and, and your elephants trying to run us over, um, and then over in Castaways, you know, we're on a tropical island, uh, off the coast of uh, Central America over on the Pacific side. And I could sit there at night, you know, and look at the stars, right? You know, and yeah, the sunny stars. And I'm literally, it's probably one of the most beautiful places I think I've ever been in my life, you know? Sure. And um, and it was it was absolutely gorgeous. But at the same time, it's one of those conditions where you see air. Be yeah. careful what you think is beautiful. You know, like it, right. it reminds me of a toxic relate. It's the toxic girlfriend. That's what, that's how I'm going to, that's how I always refer to that island that we're on. There She's we beautiful, but she's trying to kill you the whole time. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, Fantastic way of describing it. I love it. How'd you get hooked up with, yeah. Tom, with Tom Brown? Uh, I did not get hooked up with Tom Brown. So Tom Brown's prodigy, uh, Bill McCollum, is, um, he is a uh, primitive survivalist. He was at, Tom Brown's camp for five years and was his, his head instructor and his go-to. And so Bill is actually trained Laura Zera and he's trained several other people from, um, in, in the world and in Naked and Afraid. And he's a really, really, really well-known survivalist. There was a Rangers uh, there training when I was there. Some of the Rangers were training. Um, and so uh, he teaches a lot of special forces guys and things of that nature. And, um, he, they do like vision quests and all this other stuff. And so he's Tom Brown's prodigy. And so that's one of my um, coaches, you know. That is and so, so what a great opportunity yeah. that is that you've, you've immersed mm-hmm. yourself with, with a small group yeah. of folks that, that truly are 
fantastic at, at a lost art in modern culture. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the same thing with fishing. You know, my mentor is Bob Seeley. And so I truly believe if you want to be good at something that you have to, to be at a level where you got to seek out the people that are best at it. And those are the people you need to surround yourself with, get your advice from, and, and you need to practice with. Yes, your friends are great, but, you know, they can always say it's lonely at the top, right? You know, but the if you want to level up, if you want to be the best, that you are the company that you keep. So um, no matter what it is, a hobby or a passion or a career, make sure you find the best of the best, and that's who you, you get your advice from, and that's who you start to, to work with and mentor with. So you, too, can, can be considered in that, that cloud of greatness, you know? Wow, Heather, that's a lot of wisdom, a lot of wisdom in that. Hey, you, you mentioned, you know, and you mentioned it at the beginning of the show and, and a couple times here in the last couple of minutes, Castaways. Uh, before we go, tell us tell us a little bit about the new show, what you you know, what you can. I know it's coming out here soon. Um, just kind of the ins and outs of that just a little bit. I don't want you to give too much now, away because I want people to listen but or to watch it. but. Right. Yeah, there's well, People Magazine did a big article on it, you know, which is cool. By the way, I was all excited because it says Heather Smith, Brooklyn, Texas. You know, when it says the cast and it's in People, I actually sent that to Bob. I was like, what are you doing? Because, you know, I see that little bitty town in People Magazine. It's kind of, a, I know it's probably, I sound like a little girl right now gushing about it, but that was actually my, that was my big, you know, grin of the day, right? You know, um, after almost dying on all these other adventures, the one thing that excites me is because I can put my little town in People Magazine. It's so funny, but... Um, it's awesome. Well, there's nine of us, and we all have to swim to an island, and uh, it's it, we can't bring anything. I mean, this is something that's never been done before. They said they took nine elite survivalists, and they put us all together, and it's something that's never been done before. I mean, you we could not bring a single item, which they've never, ever, ever uh, prevented. You know, they've always had someone bring an item, or if they had somebody that didn't have an item, it was only like the first week and then they were knew they were going to get an item. It didn't happen with us. And so um, we weren't allowed to bring anything. We had to swim to where we were going. And then once we got on there, we didn't have a map. We just really had to figure it out. And uh, it's brutal. It's rough. Uh, we weren't allowed to use some wreckage that we found. You know, um, I think they mentioned in people that there was a plane that's found, there's a Jeep that's found, and then there's a boat that's found. But uh, none of them work, I'll tell you that, you know, and everything's really old. And so, <laughs> well, you made a comment <laughs> before we started the show, and it made it real to me. Uh, it we, we all love to offshore fish. It is, um, that is a real thing. If you had a shipwreck or whatnot and you swam to an island, I mean, this is a realistic. I mean, it's, yeah, it's something that we could, like, we can all kind of relate to. Sure. I, I always keister a pocket knife anytime I go offshore. <laughs> so. No, I, I didn't ask Yeah, this. it's funny you should say that. I, I told the I made a comment. I was like, if I knew it was this kind of party, I would have prison pouched a couple of things. You know what I mean? Like, so, right. Then, you know, you get out there and you're like, oh. Yeah. Where'd she right? get that like, case knife out? Yeah. Right, multi-function toys. You may have said this already, and I may just not have heard it. Do, do you have clothes for this for this challenge, or is this also done? Uh, yeah, this is Naked and Afraid. Okay. This so is Naked and Afraid. Okay, this, yeah. this is a brand new show from Naked and Afraid. Okay, so, uh, and instead of doing, like, you know, they have XL, they have Naked and Afraid, last one standing, um, and then they have, now they have Naked and Afraid Castaways. Okay. And, uh, you know, I know we, we 
uh, gave it our all. We loved the production. The production was amazing. Discovery was amazing. I actually love working for this network and with this network and that production crew, Renegade, Renegade, it was fabulous. And, um, but it was, it was absolutely difficult. It was, uh, you know what I mean? They said, this is the the hardest challenge you've ever tried. You know, they always say, oh, this is the hardest challenge. Oh, this is the Mount Everest challenge. You know, and, and honestly made my, my thing in South Africa that, you know, I've just explained that looks like the bunny floats compared to the castaway. So <laughs> I can't. Wait know, to um, I can't wait to. Watch. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is. I, yeah. I think I'll enjoy this more than I will just the naked and afraid deal because of, like we said, the relatability to it. Now I, I will say this: if we and and Chris and I have actually submarined a, a, a boat forty miles off the shore before together, um, mm-hmm. but if we'd have had to swim somewhere, we we did both have our clothes. Yeah. So. Yeah. I didn't yeah, have- this is just part of that challenge too, you know. Like, so I mean, I don't make the rules, you know. What I mean, I just gotta show up, you know. Yeah, so, but uh, but uh, I didn't have my contacts because they got knocked out by yeah. the windshield. But so I'd have been blind. I would have been blind, naked, and afraid. And the sharks would have been drawn to you because you were bleeding. That's so right. I would have made it. <laughs> But that's that's a problem, and you'll see that too when you watch Castaways. <laughs> Fantastic, and, so, and they they will not intervene. I can't give you any spoilers, but that is a problem. So, when does the show come out? I, I want to hear July. That more. Say again, July thirtieth on Discovery. So July thirtieth, Sunday, July thirtieth on Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Max streaming now at eight p.m. You can watch nine Castaways, elite survivalists, live and jump and cry for their lives to survive on the murder island from hell. <laughs> I love it. Heather, you have <laughs> missed you have missed your calling. <laughs> have I? When, I'm on it, you know. What I mean? so, hey, uh, when you when you get tired of doing these shows, you can just start announcing these shows. There we go. Yeah, yeah. So you know what I had my own show on the Hunt Channel for a while. Uh right. Heather Smith at store. So I'm a big fan of Merrill. I got to throw that out there. And, and I want to say, you know, I'm also the outdoor editor for Florida Fisherman Magazine. So uh, I've got to give props to Hunt, the Hunt Channel and to Florida Fisherman Magazine because uh, without them, you know, uh, they had faith in me before I had faith in anything else. So or even what I knew I was doing. They had faith in me, what I was doing before I knew what I was doing. So um, I, I appreciate you guys and your time. And I, I hope that you guys enjoy Naked and Afraid. And um, you can look at it with new eyes. Uh, now when you take a look at it and realize that we are literally out there fighting for our lives and, um, and we appreciate all of your support and anytime, anytime you see it, you know, you're like, Oh, just run. Yeah. I I promise everything is faster. (laughs) (laughs) I've tried, I've tried, you know, like everything is faster than you. Well, Heather, I've uh, always been a fan of the show. I'm an even bigger fan of the show now. And absolutely cannot wait for July 30th to get here to see this new show that you're on. Um, we've got, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your schedule to do this with us. I know you're incredibly busy right now. And for you just to work us into your schedule, it means a lot to us. Um, anything else before we go? No, maybe one day we can link up uh, on the water one day and catch a fish. That would be fantastic. Oh, that would be great. So I, um, I'm actually, where are you guys? You're in Mississippi? We are. We do a lot of fishing out of Venice, though, in Louisiana. So. Oh, me too. Me too. I actually love Venice. I will be, be, the first week of October, I'll be over in West Palm Beach for the uh, Pink Ladies Tournament uh, for uh, cancer, right? You know, for yep. breast cancer survivors. 
And then the after that, I go over to Cabo to search the Bisbee. And then um, November, December, I am willing to travel. Well, I'm going to try to spend some time with my kids. If and I potentially may have to leave on another adventure. Uh, but that is to let's wait and see what happens there. Because I'm leaving for another adventure here in a week. And, um, you know, I've got to go fishing for a while, guys. And I'll, I'll be home. I'll be home by October. Nice. Well, fantastic. Heather, thank yeah. you again for coming on. Uh, for everybody listening, go check out Heather Smith Outdoors uh, on the Hunting Channel on YouTube. She's on Facebook. She's on Instagram, TikTok, all kinds of cool stuff. And once again, that show, Castaways, will be out July 30th on the Discovery Channel. Heather, thank you so That's much. Perfect. Thank you all for having me on. It's been a pleasure. You guys are funny, and you guys are awesome. <laughs> Safe travels, girl. All right. Thank you so much. Hunting season is here, so why are you still loading your four-wheeler in the back of your truck? Head on over to Bill's Collision Center and Trailer Sales in Columbia, Mississippi. They got a trailer for all of your hauling needs, including trailers for four-wheelers, side-by-sides, and tractors. Gooseneck trailers and dump trailers are also available. And in the event that you kill a deer with your truck rather than your rifle, they can take care of that too. Check them out on Facebook at Bill's Collision Center and Trailer Sales, or give them a call at 601-736-3219. Welcome back to the Pinstripes <laughs> Camo Podcast. We just got hey, done talking to Heather. Dude, she was awesome. Yeah. Flamboyantly awesome. I mean, I'm speechless a little bit, you know, just to try to, you, you poke into the mind of somebody that's willing to do something like this. Right. And uh, kind of, you know, bop around and wow. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I, I mean. You it just, obviously takes a special person to do that. You don't just one. put your big toe into the water with this. She's she's no, 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 full no. fledged. I thought it was interesting how she, you know, the the training regiment that she would go through, you know, before the show, the yeah. things that she was doing. It's things that I wouldn't. I'm and I'm sure she's, you know, obviously, like she said, she's had some guidance because there were things like the tanning bed. Yeah. Or the ice baths. Or the ice baths. To deal with the the temperature change. Right. Regulating body temperature or changing body temperature, I mean. Mental toughness. Right. Just building all that. I I think the hardest thing for me would be getting out of my own head a lot of it. Like, physically, the human body can take an absolute beating, right? But the mental challenges that you would go through during that, I, I would be... I think I would get to the point where I'm just like, why am I doing this? Yeah. Yeah, the first day she fries her foot off. Right. And then, I mean, it'd be very easy to get into a negative Yes, yes. I mean, it'd been easy to be like, this is a huge inconvenience that I wasn't expecting. Turns out I need need both my feet. Right. (laughs) Right. But, you know, I mean, for her, you got to think about it it, when that happened. It really did turn into a survival thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, that made it really real, I'm sure. Unbelievable. So, anyway, so she was really cool. A lot of fun. Well, I I just have to comment. Um, wasn't the right place at the time, but I'm not super sold on her uh, Secretary of Science. Her what? Her Secretary of Science. Oh, well, yeah. yeah well, just, I don't know anything about it, well, so I just, don't know. I'm well-read on Secretary. Well, I figured if you're eating Barracuda, you should be. Yeah. So. Well, if you're not, you'd better be. Pacific, Indian Ocean, Caribbean, or far higher chance of and it's every apex predator of the reef now the higher you go up that chain that's right you know the worse it gets but there's 
you know, a barracuda is not the apex predator when a Goliath is present. Right. True. That's Goliath group of food at that point. So, but anyways. You keep eating them. I am. There we go. I'm going to keep eating them. Was it good? Yeah. It was white fish. White, flaky, soft. Not soft. It was kind of, it's kind of denser. Deer you know meat for I'm? dinner. Blue Gabe. Uh, yeah. Those YouTubers. Yeah. A lot of people eat them. They eat them all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I do understand the, uh, like, trying to shoot smaller ones. Right, that's right. Um, because the monster that I shot, uh, I say it was a monster. I mean, yeah, it was a good one. I mean, did he have a, did a, a lot of worms? No, there were no worms in him. Hmm. Um, but you know, we had shot a jack the week before. Um, he was full of right. worms. But uh, no, there were no worms in him. Um, I I don't understand that. Understand what worms? Well, they're uh, fish like that. They're uh. They're uh, fish that, what, what are they called? Uh, spaghetti worms is the most common. Yeah, I'm sure there's multiple parasites that fish get, but I know the fish that that are reef species that get older, um, they're the ones that are that are more likely to have worms. I know catch big amberjack all the time, and they'll all every one of them have. Well, worms. yeah, black drum too. And heck, a lot of speckled trout mm-hmm. have worms that, yeah. that, that you clean. There's been no known infection of humans with spaghetti worms, which are the most common that you see. The white. Long running in and out, but like a tuna fish, you know, it, it grows to be, you know, it grows really fast. So they might only be two or three years old. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know the science behind it, but maybe they're not old enough or haven't been around long enough to catch the worms. Whereas a thirty-pound snapper might be thirty-plus years old. Yeah, but right. supposedly they, you know, it's not a problem. Like you could you could eat them. Most people just throw the fish away, but you could just cut around it. That's I what mean, I do. I wouldn't scrap Does the it, entire fish. No, I've never. They're always in the tail section. I always just cut okay. the tail section that, off. That's and, what I was about to ask yeah. you. Is like, it, it, what part of the fish? Yeah. Well, unless they're just the tail section are everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> that's also a possibility. Yeah, most likely they they start in the tail section. Yeah. I'm assuming though, if you cook the the meat to a certain temperature, that it kills every parasite in it anyway, right? But, or does it? Which I know we've eaten tuna on the boat. Yeah. Yeah. This is something though. That, no, no, no. Well, it it you can't you, you can't kill. Cicatera. I know we're not talking about that, but can you not? Okay. no, no, no form of cooking can so it's can not get like, rid of Cicatera toxin. It's not like because uh, it's a toxin. Right. It's a toxin produced uh, by right. the parasite. There's no like prep or anything that you can do to avoid it. You like either trichinosis. It's not like trichinosis. It's not like trichinosis. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, amberjack are a wonderful example of a fish that around the world contains Cicatera. Yeah, like in like uh. A lot of UAE people hunting amberjack. That's a common fish so, that could so have. So how it. would you? Because they are absolutely an apex predator on the reef. How would you know? You would eat the fish. Yeah. And it's scentless. There's no. There's no visible or, you know, there's no sensation that you can. You know, they do say that sometimes whenever you skin a fish with cicatera, that your hands can become numb. But that happens to me. So, like, at the beginning of the year in April or whatever, when I make my first three-foot seas trip because I just can't stand it anymore, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I kill whatever, catch whatever, skin the fish, the whole week my hands are rough. It happens every year. They get tight, like they're tingly all the time, every time. Then throughout the year, the more fish I skin, they're fine. So, like, now I can clean, you know, 
40 red snapper, which is normally what me and another person catch when we're offshore. <laughs> and uh, it won't <laughs> and it won't it won't bother me anymore. But every year the the first big haul, my hands are just rent for like a week. Really? It's weird. But so I don't think that has anything to do with it. But so how would you know if you ate a fish that had six tail? Well, you may not. You know, you may not know, but I mean, like common foodborne illness, sickness, like diarrhea, vomiting, is a headache common. But like they, there are some people that say like tingling in your feet and and fingers, and there are examples where it's lasted for months. You know, side effects, but so like most it? things, those are extreme examples. Sure. I'm guessing it. it, it people does. die from the common cold. Right. You know, so. I'm guessing it does some sort of damage to your central nervous system. Then, if you start talking about tingling, and I, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what it is. it's not really a well researched. I say that like there's CDC stuff on it, and like World Health, right. like because it's, you know, it's the most common seafood illness that there is. But like you can't find a ton of information from like well researched sources. It's normally just, I mean, Wikipedia has a lot on it, but. Yeah, you can kind of take that for whatever. Yeah. But anyways, so did you, you went the other day? You went. You did a little spear fishing. Uh, did it had such a good time, man? It is like you just can't beat it. You can't beat it. There's nothing like it. <laughs> it is the best adrenaline rush sport, and we're lucky because we live close to some right, warm water, right. a lot of structure, um, and you can get as in depth. As you can, and I'm—I would consider myself a very rookie spear fisherman. Mm-hmm. Um, got all the stuff, you know. You you see these folks that can dive a hundred feet and shoot fish, yeah. and that's not me, you know. But um, I've got a, a buddy, Justin Gauze, and I—we um, have we have gone, you know, just around some rigs. So the other day we went uh, in a block of rigs that was in probably 300 foot of water mm-hmm. and uh we shot snapper and mangroves and uh rig fish and we just had the best time so yeah i can't wait to get i mean once once you get back home it's like when can when i can when i go can, again when can i go again yeah yep. yep it's it is very uh yeah i did do the uh the two day so i went we went to dolphin island and we camped that night and then went back spearfishing the next day and my dives like the day before, I was going to 65. The next day, you know, how well rested and refed and rehydrated are you getting after all your prep work in the afternoon and all that, you know, you're not sleeping super great sure. uh, or super long. And I couldn't dive probably 50 the yeah. next day, you yeah. know, just that's also important too is like you're not going to go have a bunch of Miller lights and then go spearfish and do well. That's right. You know, um, <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it, you're exactly right about that. And training your body, it's given me a reason to get in shape. Yeah. You know? And, and another thing is, it's so much to do with your mind over all this other stuff. Because like I was telling Ben the last time we talked about it is, if you can walk 60 feet and back holding your breath, then you can at least dive 30. Sure. Now that, you know, growing up on the Pearl River, <laughs> um, that's deep. Yeah. 30 feet's deep. Yeah. <laughs> well, I meant to tell you the other day that I've been practicing holding my breath, and I feel very confident after going through, you know, going to get in the mail or the trash cans or whatever, <laughs> and walking out there and holding my breath, I feel very confident that I could dive at least eight feet. 
There we go. Yeah. Well, I mean, and From, you you say that like it's nothing, but being able to dive eight feet completely changes like how you can fish a rig. Like you're so limited just sitting on the top looking down, like right there in your if you can dive eight foot and you have a spear gun, well now your hunting range is almost twenty feet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now now you can shoot a mangrove, you know? No, I didn't say anything about fishing. I just said I could go down eight feet and then come back <laughs> up. <laughs> well, there is a mental block that people have, like, and Hayden wouldn't mind me saying this because, you know, he, I took him when I didn't know what I was doing. I'm not saying I do now. I'm far well versed in it now because I've been probably 10 times. Yeah. But we went with just some pole spears and, like, split fins from Amazon, you know, and Walmart goggles at the triple rig in Mississippi, which is zero foot clarity. And he did not do well. He had, a, he got, got panicked, got tangled up. Like, and he went back and, you know, it was a lot calmer this time, a lot more prepared, but still he couldn't get down. It's not because he can't hold his breath 30 seconds. It's just, there's something to overcome about <laughs> right. diving down into the, the, the abyss basically. Cause a lot of times, especially around Dolphin Island, it's, it's not, oh, wow, I'm in 80 foot of water and I can see the bottom or I can see 10 feet. A lot of times the top is you have five foot of water clarity, so you can't see anything. Yeah, that's you right. You got to bust through that and then it, you know, it opens up to, because like in 80 foot of water, we would, once you got past 15 feet, you can see bottom. Yep. You know. That's how it was at the city rigs mm-hmm. the other day. It had a Merclair the first five feet, but once yeah. you got down below it, it was like a, it was crystal clear. Crystal clear. Yeah, you see everything under the rig. Yep. And you can find out real quick if you just need to leave. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. Did you, you guys see any sharks the other day when you went? Uh, we saw a couple. They weren't bad. Bulls? Um, maybe. Maybe. Um, they weren't paying as much attention. I was surprised by how many barracuda every rig we dove on. It was. I mean, there'll be 80. So no, that's not an exaggeration. There was like, more barracuda than any other fish mm-hmm. at the rig. They uh makes a lot of sense uh, a lot of sense when you you know sitting at a rig snapper fishing and you bringing up fish with chunks out of them yeah all those barracudas stacked in there but you know I was surprised too they wouldn't get too fired up uh, Justin shot a fish that wrapped around a rig leg and they ate it um, but other than that you know it was kind of eerie the first time I dove down through the because they're like a a bunch of you know hoodlums all just hanging out watching you, you know? <laughs> yeah and, they will they'll uh, all turn and look at you yeah you know? so it's a little bit eerie because you dive down through them and then you shoot a fish and you got to come back through them and you're like are they just going to start you know attacking the fish that i'm holding mm-hmm. or whatnot and they're, they're pretty chill you know yeah, yeah the only time that we've had one do anything is shooting a fish in murky water and then bringing it to you and then a you know a barracuda was following it and then he turns and uh, I shot a mangrove snapper like at the absolute distance that my double wrap gun would shoot, and it goes in and spines it, but not far enough to go through it. So it was sitting there just kind of mm-hmm. wiggling, and then my dad went down and grabbed the fish, but a barracuda was after it yeah. whenever he shot it again. But they, I've, I mean, sometimes it is scary though, like when you first hop in the water. There's no doubt, <laughs> and they're just grinning at you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Didn't you say that like barracuda? You're probably okay as far as dealing with them if you didn't have, like, like shiny stuff. Well, on. No, I, I said that I don't think that even matters. Really? Okay. I know that that used to be, the, like, the Discovery Channel thing, like, not to wear rings in the water with barracudas. Right. But they just... 
They're smarter than they're you think not, they are. Yeah, they're, they've recognized that you're a predator as well, and you're 10 foot long with fins on. Yeah. You're not to be reckoned with. They don't. They'll get calmer as the day goes on. I don't know if y'all notice that, but yep. initially they'll kind of give you the rig. Really, it seemed like they, they would. Just kinda back when we off all, of it. when three or four people bust up in a rig, they'll kind of just go to the outsides. But as you fish for a few more hours, you know you you can bump them with your hand almost. They get yeah. rock. They get more yep. comfortable. But yep, I've you know, I've caught some on rod and reel before when we we're out fishing, and it's just a scary looking fish. Oh yeah, they're they're terrifying looking. <laughs> Are you going to do a uh, euro mount? Of that head? I still have the skull in the yeah. freezer. The, the difficult part of a fish head is, is it all disintegrates except the top part of the skull. Like, there are no bones that are, like, left intact. Like, there's hundreds of bones that make up that skull. Because I did it with a snapper. I don't know if I sent you the picture. Mm-hmm. I have a snapper. I'll show you when we get off air. But um, I bought a snapper head, and I bought it like I was going to do a deer, you know. Yeah. Just hot and heavy for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then I opened the pot, and it was just... There was nothing. <laughs> like what happened? So a bunch of different bones floating around. Well, I yeah. don't know how they do it, but I've seen some really cool well, you, wa- wahoo heads, yeah, barracuda heads. You do it in the oven or boil it for a, like not a long time to just to soften it up, and then take a pressure washer to it and rip most of the flesh off, and then start taking the bones out piece by piece and laying them out so that you can essentially put the puzzle back together. Because well, all the teeth would, are going to come out. Sure. Yeah. All that's just going to be it's just going to be bone soup. Yeah, I was I was trying to wonder like how you would keep the the bottom jaw. Yeah, because it separates as well. Right at the middle and the jaw. Yeah, right. Well, but get, get, I'm gonna try it. Yeah, get good at that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I yeah. want one from my office bad. Yeah, they 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 look cool, but uh, yeah, for anybody that's listening that has, um, I know it's not for everybody, but if you're an outdoorsman and you like the salt water and you like that kind of fishing and um. It is worthwhile to get in the water and go see what your lead's seeing. Yeah, and that's something that, um, like, your perspective of how fish operate changes just from, you don't even have to take a gun. Just go look at what they're doing, where they're at, you know, like how they're moving around the rig. Because mangrove snapper, for example, they're, every time that I go, I'm sure there'll be one or two randoms, but... They're, every time we go, they're in a pile on one corner of the rig. And over time, they're just going to move from corner to corner. Anytime something bumps them off their spot, they're going to go to a different spot and hang out. And they're always, seemingly, always around wherever the Merc layer is. So if the Merc layer is at the top, now if it's crystal clear 300 feet, you know, they're going to be a little deeper or whatever. But you learn a lot doing that. And they're seeing smart. the fish. Yeah. And the big ones, the big ones will slip away and let and leave the little ones to yeah. be exposed. Yeah. The like a like mangrove snapper are available and relatively easy to hunt initially. But yeah. after you take one or two, that's right. They start getting wiggly on you. Hard to hit. Yeah. <laughs> but uh did I tell you uh I might have said this last week, I don't know. Uh we went to a little rig. Um six, seven miles off the beach. And uh, there were a few boats there. And it's one of those rigs that gets hit hard because it's close. Everybody can get sure. to it, you know. Um, we went there just to check it out. 40 foot of water. Everybody was there fishing. Nobody was catching anything but little baby reds. So I'm like, well, you know, let's just go check it out. We go down. There's nothing there. I mean, there's baby reds, non-legal mangroves, 
just random angelfish. Yeah. And uh, obviously, spadefish are plentiful everywhere. Right. But I was able to go to the bottom there and get good looks and stay down for a second. And I noticed the pipe running off. And 60 foot off of that rig, that pipe stayed up above the ocean floor. Yeah. And then it kind of slowly went back under the seafloor. That entire pipe was just stacked with red snapper yeah. and sh- big sheep's head all yeah. the way down through it. So we just moved our boat yeah. <laughs> you know, 50 yards off the rig and started diving there. But, I mean, you, you're never going to just go, oh, well, let me go 80 yards in this direction for no reason and try it here. You yeah. know? It's and awesome. that, you're not picking up that little thing on your sonar, you know, your right. blimp. I mean, maybe you can, but. some well, I guess uh, no deeper than it was, you probably could. Hey, you know, you you guys are always talking about diving around rigs. And you mentioned earlier uh, when Heather was on the show about, you know, finding a grass line or something like that. Would you ever dive, like, just out in the middle of anywhere? Like, you, you see a grass line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Or whatever, and you're like, all right, I'm hopping out of the boat, and I'm going to start spearfishing now. Yeah. Like, say, like, say or I'm, I'm trolling, I'm, I'm tuna fishing. or. So you got to think a real easy fish to hit is, is, a, is a dolphin, a mai mai. On a well, grass that's, line. That's what I was wondering. So you go to a big grass patch and they're everywhere and you have them chum to the boat. You yeah. slip in. I mean, triple tails sit there too as well. Yeah. And Almaco jacks. But it is. It's not like you ever overcome, or maybe for me, that there is always a little bit of a fear factor. And especially in the abyss. Like when you're offshore, way offshore, off the shelf, blue water, yeah. you're yeah. diving down. And I mean, you're never going to see the bottom. Yeah, I mean, you feel you really small out you there. You feel very small. Yeah, yeah. Also, like you're... Going to the rig, you know, you put your head down. You're swimming to the rig. You're not really looking forward at the rig. You're kind of just analyzing. You have no depth perception because it's just crystal clear blue as far as you can see, and you don't know. There is nothing to tell you how close or far anything is. So it's kind of eerie when you're just in just the vastness of it all. Yeah. That's why I do like diving rigs, and I'm far more comfortable doing that because sure. you have something, some stable, structure. something visible to see, right. and have like spatial awareness, especially with current stuff, you know. Uh, and we've all caught big, you know. I've caught hundred pound tuna fish, and they'd be chopped in half by a yeah. shark, and know? and so a big mako or something like that that can yeah. jump seventy miles an hour. Like that's in the back of your mind, yeah. You know, yeah, absolutely, and especially you know, just the experience that I've had. You know, we've seen sharks. I've also been all day and not seen of the first shark. Right. Um, but, you know, I was, I got ran up on by that bull that day. Right. And, you know, that was my first, like, I need to do something experience with a shark. Um, but, I mean, 45 minutes later, I was back in the water, which maybe that's dumb. I don't know. But I had to move spots before I got back in. Yeah, but something about it just, seemed like because he never did anything we never saw him when we were in the rig you know he was out there doing that thing right. staying with those jacks so we felt comfortable giving him now if i see a tiger shark at all yeah i'm out i'm with you gone have you ever had a chris have you ever had a shark like a like a a real sketchy shark experience when you were doing it like he had no not really i've had him get aggressive and when they get aggressive i'm getting in the boat Right. Like yeah. we're, ch- we're changing spots. You know, if they get to where they're piling up and it's a lot of sharks and they're getting aggressive. Getting darty, I mean, bowing their fins out, you know. They're, I'm flexing. I'm a. Because like, that you, was, you uh, talked about getting back in the water 45 minutes later and you're in the same spot. Like, I know when we've been, you know, line fishing, 
once we catch a shark or we catch a couple of barracuda or whatever, it's like, all right, we're pulling up and going somewhere else. I would assume spearfishing, you would kind of do the same thing. Yeah. Well, we bounced around. Yeah. Well, the thing about that experience was, is I didn't, I didn't feel threatened by the shark when he made his initial. First, I didn't see him till he was coming at me. Right. You know, there was and this day there was bad viz about you could see about thirty foot, and then there was a merclair. So I'm obviously not diving past that because I don't know what's past that. So, you know, yeah, that's um, too far to go to then see what's behind it. You know, to, for me anyways. Yeah, for, have to get yeah out. because I feel I'm very rookie. There's folks that are so that's their thing. There's there's some folks that we have stayed with in Venice, and and they are um, well, they hold records for triple tail. They they that's what they shoot. They they shoot triple tail. That's their thing, and. Uh, and where they kill them is in zero vis water, and so yeah. they're going. Um, so he holds the world record for uh, triple tail. I think it was. I'll just show you a picture. It looks like a dinosaur. I mean, it's like. Yeah, I think you sent it to me. Yeah, fifty, fifty, sixty. Maybe I don't know. I have to see the picture. It's a preposterous. Triple it, tail. It's a right. humongous, but it's like how comfortable are you diving in chocolate milk? And it's like, well, not that comfortable, you know. <laughs> And uh, he said, well, we're going to the bottom because there's zero vis, but when you look up at the sun coming through the water, you see shadows. And right. so we're shooting at shadows. And it's like, wow, that, that's next level. But that's what they do, and they're yeah. good at it. Well, my, my reasoning also was that bull shark was there when we got there. Right. And he's going to be there when we get back in the – like, he was there. He checked me out. He He – Found out that I'm not food, you know, which is what I assume was the reason he was coming to look at me. Why else would he? It was it didn't feel territorial when he approached me. He was calm approaching me, but when he got to me and I hit him in the face, yeah. Then he got, <laughs> then he got, you know, he got a little, he got a little more aggressive, dark, you know, just right. behaviorally. He didn't get close enough again because I, if that mouth comes up and he's getting shot, right? Um, I'm not like those eco people who are like, yeah. I'm going to let this shark bite me. No, yeah. I'm going to put a 115 centimeters of steel down his belly <laughs> and see what happens then. Well, we need something, you know, just talking about the sharks. The sharks are a problem. Um, we protect all these species of fish, and I've never seen as many sharks. I have an opinion on this. Hold on. <laughs> Hunter and I had a 30-minute conversation the other night about this. This exact thing was... All right, why are we so worried about protecting sharks and wolves and all these animals? <laughs> Dude, that that was my example. Yeah. I'm like, when yeah. you want an area to have more elk and yeah. more mule deer, what do you do? You kill all the wolves. That's right. That's right. And they're like, well, the you know the ecosystem is it relies on the sharks so much. Why? So you have this industry that's billions of dollars that you know sportsmen, commercial fishing, the whole nine yards, and then we've got these sharks. Like, bring in the fishermen that fish for those those sharks yeah uh, and and they have to be so big to keep and and i mean supposedly the, the you know shark fin soup's a thing let's bring it back yeah <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, well, what's the big deal i'm gonna have more grouper at the rig is that the problem i i am <laughs> as much of a conservationist as the next person i believe but i i'm i'm, I'm kind of like you guys i, I mean, see no reason that we shouldn't be taking more sharks well, out. Well, I, I look at social media and, and all, a lot of folks that fish, 
you know, like myself, recreational guys, they're hardworking folks. They, you know, have a boat and, and maybe Saturday's their day to fish. That's when they can go, whether the wind blows or not. And they get out there and uh, take their children, uh, which is what we're supposed to be doing. And they can't get a fish to the boat without it being chopped in half. And that's uh, a lot worse in Venice, correct? Cause it's I, bad I, everywhere I've been lately. Yeah. Well, I, I would say it's not so bad where we've been just because I haven't seen them. Right. I mean, I just don't see sharks. And I'm wondering if you're just not seeing them. Like, they're there and you're just not seeing them. Well, no, them. they're certainly there. But, like, days whenever I can see 80 feet, yeah, you know, there's – it would be less likely for sharks to be not at the rig, you know. Right. There's not like there's a bunch of fish havens in that area. But I think one of the things – when we were talking the other night about it, Hunter, one of the things that came into my mind was, like, I equated it to turkey hunting. You can't, all right, if you're a turkey hunter, you obviously want to get rid of predatory animals to the nest, like nest predators, Mm -hmm. coons, possums, coyotes, things like that. You can't be a turkey hunter and want to get rid of those things and not want to get rid of sharks if you're a fisherman. It's the same thing, right? Do you know one of the best places to spearfish in the world is Bali? We just talked about this before the show about me trying to get my wife to buy a house in Bali. They're cheap. Um you know what there's not in Bali? Sharks. Sharks. You know why? Because they've killed them all. <laughs> Do you know what there is in Bali? Mahi, rainbow runners, wahoo, dogtooth tuna, yellowfin tuna. It's so much fun. It's marlin. And there are no... Marlin, yeah. yeah blue, <laughs> black, white. There are no sharks. It, everybody spearfishes and has a great time. Grouper, everything. Yeah. Beautiful mm. reef ecosystem. No sharks. Maybe there's something to it. And it thrives. Well, it's wow. been a good show. This ben, has. It's been a lot of fun. You think you'll get in the water? We need to. No, well, we we are we are planning a Amberjack trip in August. I, okay. I, I think. Uh, I say that they'll probably be dead by the time we go. But <laughs> I, I, I want to because you know I hear you guys tell all these stories about, like you just said, it's so much fun that when you get back, you're like, when can I go again? And I want to experience that, but I, I'm going to have to figure out a way to get over that initial shock of being in the water and that vulnerability yeah. you have. Yeah. And and I think once I get past that, it'll be an enjoyable experience for me. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you, like I told Larson, you know, Larson loves to bow hunt, deer hunt, and elk hunt and all that. I said, this is going to change the way you view things when you go. <laughs> and I was right. He's like, dude, if I could go, if you said, hey, man, I can go do this instead of sitting in a deer stand, I'm coming. Just yeah. let me know this winter. Um, so, yeah. well, you'll see. You'll see, Ben. Well, before we go, once again, uh wanted to thank Heather Smith for being on the show. Uh, like we said earlier, go check her, her new show out. It's coming out July 30th on the Discovery Channel. That's Castaways, uh, part of the Naked and Afraid show. And uh, also, you know, follow her on Facebook, Instagram. Check her YouTube page out. Really cool stuff. And uh, also, go follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I'm begging Hunter to get us some YouTube footage right now. I'm going to have to go. I, I'm Before we go, I'm getting my boat back this week. So, river trip coming up. Nice. Um, it's It's been, I've, I've, I've gone almost the entire summer now without getting out there. So Yeah. Uh, we missed all the hand grabbing season. 
Sorry. River trip coming up, so that means somebody's going to be coming to get Ben off the river. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll give a shout-out to uh, Michael Fuquay, who was texting me before we started the show tonight, uh, invited us down to Port St. Lucie to go fishing down there. And uh, if you've ever read any of my columns or anything, you know me and Michael have a history with boats, just like me and Chris do. Um, but I did want to give him a shout-out and tell him that if – you know, he'll let me borrow his boat. I'll come get it. <laughs> Very uh, nice. You guys got anything else tonight? Oh. No, until next yeah. time. And Chris, thanks for joining us again, man. All right. We'll see you next time. While you're scrolling through social media, go check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Also, visit our website, pinstripestocamo.com, to read weekly blogs and purchase Pinstripes to Camo merchandise.